The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel-Samad. It's a rare Sunday edition of the, the Wheel Bearings podcast. Um... Because, I mean, there's still football or anything today, so <laughs> we might as well record a, a show. Sure. And since I was on the West Coast again this past week, it, which makes it problematic to uh, to record on our usual uh, Wednesday or Thursday night, uh, I, let's, I'm back home now, and so let's do it. Yeah, and you were out there for a good reason, too. That's right. I went out there uh, to attend the Mazda North America Tech Forum uh, and uh, get a first look at the Skyactiv-X engine. And we'll talk more about that uh, after we talk about what we're driving. All right. Well, so let's just roll into it right now. You had one of my very favorite cars. <laughs> yeah. So I had the uh, the Dodge Challenger GT uh, just before I left for California. And uh, I haven't I haven't driven a challenger on the road in a while uh actually probably since 2010 i think uh you know i've driven you know challengers out at you know the chrysler proving grounds uh a couple of times uh in recent years but the first time i've driven a challenger on the road for a while and um it's actually better than i remembered uh especially you know in this in this form you know the gt you know i mean you first drove it you know bit more than a year ago, I guess. Um, yeah. With and so this is the version that has all wheel drive, and it's a V six only um, for for the GT. Uh, and you know it's it's interesting. You know this is a car that's been on you know the Challenger you know in it in this basic form has been around for almost ten years now since it launched. And um, yeah, you know, something they, like they that. just keep they just I think yeah, I think it came out in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. At any rate, you know, Chrysler just keeps tweaking it a little bit uh, every year or two, uh, adding, you know, even more ridiculously powerful V8 engines to it uh, because, you know, that's what you do. Um, and, you know, so, we've, you know, we've got all these, you know, seven and eight hundred horsepower Hellcats and Demons uh, out there now. But and amazingly, even though this car has been largely visually unchanged for nearly a decade now, sales keep getting better and better. Um, and in fact, last year, I think 
if I'm not mistaken, you know, was their best year yet for the for the Challenger since it was revived. Uh, and it was just shy of total sales of the Camaro. I think, I think it was almost uh, 60,000 sales last year. It was just behind the Camaro. Uh, and then the Mustang came in first, you know, among American performance coupes. But, the you know, the Challenger's not quite like the Camaro and Mustang. It's it's quite a bit larger, um, yeah. which, you know, means that it actually has a, a more or less usable backseat, uh, unlike the other two. Um, and it actually has a decent sized trunk and, and not only decent size, but also, you know, well, nicely shaped, you know, it's like 16 cubic foot trunk capacity. Um, so you can actually use it for stuff, you know, um, and, you know, put, you know, if you're going on a road trip, you know, put a few bags in the back there. Um, so it's, it's a relatively practical car, uh, and yeah, well, quite I, surprisingly fun to drive. Yeah. I think that's, that's part of the charm of the challenger is that yeah it's not quite up to the level of performance of those other two but it's still fun to drive and that v6 that that the, the gt is exclusively available with uh it's still plenty powerful um and you know overall i i am curious about what the actual story those uh decent sales numbers tell i don't know if that's just because people love it or if it's because uh chrysler's sales arm is working really hard to move the metal um probably a combination of the two uh you know but it's it it does have its own sort of wily charms <laughs> yeah no i mean it it's a it's a fun car to drive it's it you know it's fairly roomy it's comfortable um I, you know i seem to recall back um, when I first drove a Challenger somewhere around 2009, you know, the very first one I drove was, was also a V6. And at that time, you know, I had just recently driven uh, a V6 Charger as well. And those, those very first Challengers actually seemed tuned kind of soft uh, compared to the Charger. You know, the Charger was more buttoned down and in a suspension setup and the, the Challenger seemed a little more wallowy at the time. Uh, but this one, you know, was was just right. You know, I mean, it, it, had, it was, um, you know, not too stiff, you know, so that it, it was still, you know, comfortable to drive on Michigan roads, especially this time of year when they tend to get uh, full of uh, craters and frost heaves. And, uh, you know, it, it had good traction with the all wheel drive uh, and some all season tires on it. Um, you know, and it was, you know, it was a nice car to drive and, and got decent fuel economy. It was about 21 miles per gallon. Uh, over the week I drove it um, and really can't complain too much about it. Yeah, that's kind of where I, I come down. It, it seems weird to be so fond of it because I'm not quite as uh, fond of the, the Charger. I mean, I, I like the Charger as well and, and all-wheel drive guys. And it's so much the same basic car, but for whatever reason, the, the Challenger just has a certain uh, personality that makes it a little bit more endearing. I don't know if it's because it's a coupe or because of the particular design of the, the cockpit, the, the new interior, uh, that's a, I guess a question If the last challenger you drove, well, you, you've been in them, but, uh, yeah, know, this the, is the, the first time I spent, spent any significant time with one and you're right. Yeah. The original challenger interior was, I mean, it, it was, it came out of the waning days of the Daimler Chrysler era, you know, which meant that, you know, it was all hard plastics and, you know, not very well executed. Um, you know, and it was built to a price, which was a very cheap price. Um, 
so you know it was not not a great place to be but you know this one you know like like other contemporary chrysler vehicle fiat chrysler vehicles has a has a pretty nice interior you know the um you know the instrument panel is all you know curves around you know so everything is readily accessible to the driver you know it's very very driver oriented um you know it's automatic obviously uh, no no manuals i don't think in any of the the challengers but um you know it it works well uh it, this one had the uh you know the latest uconnect 4 uh infotainment system with support for android auto and apple carplay and and amazingly you know um Fiat Chrysler does not charge you extra f- to uh, to use Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, uh, you know, and and uh, we'll we'll get back to that a little later on, uh, but yeah, no, it is you know for for thirty nine thousand dollars, it's not a cheap car, but you know it's it's decent. I mean, you know, base price of the the GTs, you know, thirty three five, uh, right. and uh, you know, once you start adding on the um, you know, some of the option packages and everything, you know, it, it gets up there, but you know, to, to almost just shy of 39 delivered, but it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a terrible value. It's, you know, certainly comparable to what you would get from a Camaro or Mustang or, or any other, uh, you know, performance oriented coupe. Yeah. Except for none of those cars offer all wheel drive. drive. Yeah. That's, uh, a, and if you live, you know, somewhere where it snows, that's actually, you know, a pretty important factor. Yeah, and and that that was the thing where I drove it, and I was initially expecting it to you know be a little skeptical, but it's really, you know, it's it's got the the Pentastar with three hundred and five horsepower, so it it's it's not like it's sluggish. Um, it it is heavy, uh, but it, it gets decent fuel economy, handles you know pretty good, rides pretty good. Um, you're never going to mistake it for a Mustang GT, and that's that's okay. It is it is what it is, and it's. It's pleasing to drive, and out here uh, in the snow, it's it's really really solid and stable and sure footed, and so it's it, it's that you know if you like the coupe, it's that kind of car that you can drive year round. It's it's just I don't know, uh, it's one of my favorites, maybe irrationally so. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things I I do like about these, uh, you know, all of the or at least all all the the Chrysler you know Fiat Chrysler vehicles I've driven recently. Um, is you know when the the one the ones that have um most of them have had heated seats and uh steering wheels uh which is very nice but you know one thing that i've only ever experienced in in these uh, fca vehicles is when the ambient temperature when the outside temperature is below about 40 degrees it'll actually it for at least for the driver's seat it will turn on the the seat heater and the steering wheel heater by default when you start the engine so, oh yeah, that's one of the, the settings, I think. Yeah. Somewhere. So the yeah the default is it turns it on. You can go in and, and disable that so it won't turn them on automatically. But you know when it's when it's cold out like it was while I had this car, you know in the in the single digits and teens, uh, it's it's that's a very nice feature to have. You get in, you know, sit down and and the seat's already warm for you, uh, as is the steering wheel. And you know which uh, actually that's that's also particularly handy because there's no actually no separate uh control um, physical controls for the heated seats and steering wheel that's in the uh the touchscreen menu so you do have to do that to you know hit the find the controls in the touchscreen menu to turn those on and off but uh, you know since it comes on automatically i'm not i'm not i'm less perturbed by that yeah but they get a demerit for that that's yeah. one thing i've i've complained about with that and that's not just um, the Challenger. I think that's pretty much every every recent FCA vehicle that's been upgraded to the larger screen in this particular UConnect system. You know, I know the Grand Cherokee is the same way, and I think the Ram 
is the same way. And they're all yeah, kind of even the, the, a, the compass I had the other week has yeah. has that feature. Yeah, so it's at least it's consistent across the models, but I still don't like it. I'd rather have switches. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I don't feel so alone. Yeah, but you know the <laughs> you know the seats the seats are comfortable. You know, at least the front seats are comfortable and supportive. Um, and uh, you know they're upholstered in a nice leather. You know, so it feels good, and you know it doesn't feel cheap. You know, it feels feels relatively premium. Uh, you know, at least you know for its price point. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not really much I'd complain about with this car. Yeah. See, so we're we are good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So you were right for a change. <laughs> Shh, don't let that get out. <laughs> what about right, you? So, what do you have? Yeah, I had the uh, the Hyundai uh, uh, Sonata Sport, which is I was surprised that they have a sport model because I, I, I have to admit, I don't really sort of uh, hang on the edge of my seat for uh, updates on Sonata models. But um, it's a it's a pretty good car. You know, it's a good combination of practicality and decent size. It doesn't really drive in any particularly sporty fashion, um, but it's it's basically like an SEL that they gave a couple of of different features and a, a little bit more uh, aggressive appearance. Um, but yeah, I mean, does this one have the uh, the two liter turbo or is it still the two four? No, it's the two four, which I actually prefer in this car. Um, you know, the two liter turbo is roughly about the same. It's uh, I mean, it's got the one point six liter turbo now. Uh, I think looking across the the Sonata um, range uh, you've got the, the eco has the 1.6. Uh, I don't see, I'm not seeing a two liter turbo on, on any of their other. Uh, I think offerings. it's in the limited oh, might, it? might okay. only be in the limited model. Oh, it's the sport 2.0 T. Yeah. And okay. I see that. Um, yeah. I was thinking of the 1.6 when I was saying I prefer the 2.4 of that so the eco engine is that 1.6 turbo that's in it's also in the uh the tucson and it's a it's a very good engine but i just like the sort of honest simplicity and the the linearity of the um 2.4 liter naturally aspirated engine uh and i i think honestly in practice um you're not going to see a ton of difference fuel economy wise i i know that that's it's really not borne out by the numbers <laughs> yeah the EPA numbers they've managed to hit are better with the uh, the smaller turbocharged engine, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I think with the proliferation of turbocharged engines, me as the uh, contrarian, I go, oh, you know what? These naturally aspirated ones are pretty darn good too. <laughs> well, and that that's something we'll get into um, with uh, with the next topic we get into with with Mazda. Uh, but uh, you're you're not alone in that uh, in that belief, you know. And it, it certainly depends a lot on how you drive it. But um, normally, aspirated engines can give you some significant advantages in real world driving in terms of fuel efficiency. Yes, I believe it. I'm glad to see that Mazda listens to me as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the this the sport the the uh, Sonata I keep wanting to say Elantra and that's not right. Um, the Sonata Sport is uh, you know it looks good. It has a like a mesh grill instead of the normal um, slats, and it's 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 basically like the turbocharged version of the Sport in appearance, without the the turbocharged engine or the you know couple thousand dollar higher price. Um, you know it has nice leather and uh alcantara or cloth i think it's cloth um seats it's got the the d-shaped steering wheel which i have to be honest about that i don't really like the d-shaped steering wheel in 
anything other than an actual race car where it has to be that way to make room for your legs. <laughs> it's just like it's silly in a street driven car. But, but I mean, well, especially, you know, in something that is, you know, aside from the badge, you know, is not I, I wouldn't say, you know, I like the Sonata and, you know, it's got nice driving dynamics, but it's not a sports sedan. No, no, not at all. And that and that's fine. I, I like how the Sonata embraces sort of what it is. It's just a really good, honest, uh, midsize sedan. It's roomy. Uh, it's solid. You know, it doesn't doesn't drive in any way sort of flimsy. Um, it's it's just easy to to get in and out of. The, the ergonomics are really good, as usual. So the the controls are where you expect them to be. Um, you know, and the, and the sport is really well priced. It's like 20, 25 to start. And right now, uh, on Hyundai's website, they're, they're very sneakily, uh, advertising the net price. So, uh, they're saying the net price is 23, seven, um, which is so that's the, a really so good they're, deal. They're obviously offering some rebates. Yeah. Basically they're they're It's 25, 200 with 1500 off. So there you go. That's your, your <laughs> net price. I mean, that's a, that's a good deal. It's a lot of car for that, that kind of money. Um, and it, what do you think like of the, base. what do you think of the redesigned front end of it for 2018? I like it. I, I like that it has some motion in the, the lines in the hood and, and, uh, it is less bland, I think, than it had been. Um, and you know, there's just a, there's a cohesiveness across the Hyundai line. Um, and it's, it's a little bit more expressive. So I, I like it. What's your take on it? I, I think it is a good improvement, you know, and as you said, you know, it's, it's consistent, you know, that the shape of the, the revised shape of the grill is consistent across, uh, all of their, their models going forward, at least all the ones that have been updated so far. And, and those that are coming, you know, in the next, uh, in the next 12 months or so, um, and I think it does have a little more character than the the last generation of, of uh, Hyundai models that started arriving around 2013 or so, 2014. Uh, you know, so it's got a little more character than it did. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Especially yeah. given, you know, how hard it is to convince Americans right now to to buy cars at all versus buying SUVs. Well, that's too bad because they're really, you know, missing out. I mean, you look at this and you go, OK, it's. It, you know that you run for around twenty four thousand uh, dollars. You could walk in and, and drive out in one of these. It's got a, a decently sized and shaped trunk. This one in this you know particular trim has a, a nice it's a nice sunroof. It's comfortable. It has heated seats. It's got a, a pretty easy to use infotainment system. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't drive poorly. It, it rides and handles well. Um and it's it's just overall it's it's a really good value and that was what i was struck with while driving it and you know i think that it's one of the it's one of the most difficult segments to compete in right the this particular sedan segment if if there's any other tough segment it's mid-size crossovers <laughs> so um well you know, ex- it's, except it's, that you know while mid-size crossovers are a competitive segment they're also a segment that consumers are interested in Um, and you know, they're increasingly interested in versus, you know, midsize and and smaller sedans that, you know, American consumers are seem to be running away from as fast as they can. Uh, You know, so even though it's, it's still a competitive segment, it's a, it's not a growing segment, whereas the utilities are. Yeah. And I get it. Um, I hope that we don't lose too many good cars. I mean, I think what'll happen is that 
the best will stick around with reduced sales volume and they'll platform share and, you know, all the things that we're already seeing. Uh, and the Sonata right now is, is a pretty good bit of hardware <laughs> for a decent price. Uh, I think the, the one thing I, that was the most annoying to me uh, was the, it has the, the, like the trunk that senses your foot mm-hmm. and you got to hold your foot there for a little bit and it'll pop the trunk lid for you. There's actually no external button to open the trunk. Uh, so actually, the there is running. Where is it? Because I couldn't it's, find it. It's hidden um, in the in the Hyundai logo on the trunk lid. The um, you know you have that oval with the, the with the H in it. The yep. uh, the top section of that uh, is actually um, there's a, if you push on it there's actually a switch under there. So there's a flexible surface, there's a flexible plastic surface on there. So if you press on the top part of that, it'll open the trunk. Well, that's it. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we've had a very sort of uh, middle of the road week with cars this week. So what are we going to complain about? Oh, uh, we'll, we'll get to the complaints in a little bit. Uh, First, first let's talk (laughs) about something good. Um, And that is, uh, the Mazda Mazda Sky Active X. Um, this week, uh, Mazda held a, a North American Technology Forum uh, out at their headquarters in Irvine, California, and I spent a couple of days out there, and uh, we got to learn all the the magical details of the new Sky Active X engine, which we talked a little bit about uh, a few months back after they announced it at the Frankfurt Motor Show. Um, but uh, we got you know more information about it and actually got the opportunity to spend a couple of hours uh, driving uh, prototype vehicles with these engines in them. Uh, and it's, it's really good. Uh, so just as a, as a refresher, this is, um, you know, unless somebody else jumps in first in the next 12 months, uh, this will almost certainly be the first production uh, gasoline compression ignition engine to hit the market uh, when it arrives next year. And, you know, the, the idea of, you know, compression ignition. Uh, so basically, you know, with engines, we've got two, two major varieties of internal combustion engines. One is spark ignition, which is, you know, what most ga- all, all gasoline engines up until now have been, where, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a four stroke cycle in, in most cases uh, where, you know, you draw in air and, and sometimes fuel, uh, you close the valves, compress that, uh, and then a spark goes off that lights the the fuel and then that pushes the piston back down again and then the piston comes back up and pushes the burnt exhaust gases out so that's that's kind of the basics of a spark ignition engine compression ignition um with uh which is how diesels work is you uh on the intake stroke of the piston when the piston come goes down it only pulls in air uh then the valve closes it compresses the air and when you compress a gas like air uh into a smaller volume it heats up and then you inject fuel into that and the uh, because the compression ratio is so high and the air is so hot the fuel spontaneously ignites pushing down the the piston uh, so you don't have a spark plug there's no there's no spark that ignites it it's just the heat of the air that that causes it to ignite and uh you know this this is a process that actually works really well in terms of efficiency um but uh, on diesel engines, because of the way it's been done up until now with, with diesel engines, where you spray the fuel in at the, the top of, you know, near the top of the piston stroke uh, 
and the the fuel ignites uh, very rapidly. You know, the, the way it happens with with both diesels and with spark ignition engines is you, um, it 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 uh, the the uh, flame front you know spreads throughout the, the combustion chamber, pushes the piston down um, as it ex- as the as it expands. Um, but with diesels, because of the heat of the combustion, um, it actually you know and and the nature of the way the fuel is sprayed in you tend to get more um particulate matter uh you know the soot that gets generated and it also generates nox emissions which is what got these what got volkswagen in trouble yeah that's also a problem with the very lean burning direct injection you know anytime you get past a certain point where there's there's either a lean mixture or lots of combustion pressure you do you get those and i mean you you don't need me to tell you this but but nox goes up and particulates go up either it's it's also a gasoline issue too right um but what uh what's what uh engineers have been trying to get uh to for probably about more than 20 years now is what they call homogeneous charge compression ignition so you know part of part of the uh, thing that causes the production of soot and NOx is the fact that you don't have, you know, that mixture of air and fuel in the combustion chamber isn't homogeneous. It's not evenly spread out throughout the combustion chamber because, uh, you know, you're spraying in fuel in there. And so you've got droplets of fuel in the air and it's not mixed around when it com- when it compresses. And that's what part of what contributes to the the way the exhausts are formed. So. Uh, what they've been trying to achieve is, you know, this idea of homogeneous charge, you know, where uh, you actually spray the fuel in um, before it gets to the com- the, pr- the pressure at which it'll uh, spontaneously ignite. And during that time, it, it mi- the fuel and air mixes. So you have a, a nice even mixture of fuel throughout the combustion chamber. And ideally, it all ignites at one time. And then you you don't have the problems with soot and and NOx emissions and the combustion temperature is actually lower. And so, you know, uh, I first drove a a prototype, a GM prototype with an HCCI engine back in 2007. And then again, in in a later version of it in 2009. And, you know, the problem with all of these is because of the way gasoline burns as opposed to to diesel, uh, it it's very hard to control that combustion, you know, because small changes in ambient air temperature and in humidity and everything else um, can radically change the point at which it'll start, at which it'll spontaneously combust. And so what's, what ended up happening with those engines is they had a, a very small window of their operating range where it could operate in that, that combustion ignition or compression ignition mode. And the rest of the time, it still had to use a spark plug like a regular uh, gasoline engine, and it would have to switch back and forth between those. And so, um, you know, you could actually feel that transition back and forth. There was a, there was a ever so slight pause. And sometimes it, you know, depending on what you were doing, you know, when you're driving, you could feel a slight pause in the power delivery. Um, and so nobody was ever satisfied with the way the, with the, the level of refinement of these engines, which is why they've never come to market. And, what Mazda uh, realized a couple of years ago is that, in you know, because they already have a spark, you know, you've got a spark plug in these engines anyway. What if they, you know, reduce the the pressure uh, just a little bit, or reduce the compression ratio just a little bit, um, and then they could use the spark plug to actually trigger the sequence of events, and then they can you can actually um, control it much better, and you can do the compression ignition 
across a much broader range of the engine's operating uh, time. And so what they what they did was they designed a designed the piston and designed the the combustion chamber so that this thing is running at sixteen. Uh, to one compression ratio, which is much higher than a typical uh, gasoline engine. I mean, most gasoline engines are about um, uh, modern direct injected engines are usually about 10 or 11 to one. Uh, Mazda's uh, sky active direct injected engines are uh, 12 to one or 13 to one. And what they're doing is they spray the fuel in and they, they have a really lean mixture of fuel. You know, so instead of a one to one, air fuel ratio uh, that you would have in a spark ignition engine or even a, a 1.2 or 1.3 to 1 that you would have in a typical lean burn gasoline engine. They're running as much as two, two and a half, three to one air fuel ratios. So, re, you know, a lot of excess air. And when it um, when the piston comes up uh, and compresses all this, it comes up to just below the pressure at which it'll spontaneously ignite. And then what they're doing is they've got a pressure sensor in the in the combustion chamber uh, next to the spark plug, and they spray in just a little bit of additional fuel um, just before they want to uh, ignite the thing. And then they use the spark plug to ignite that. And what that does is it doesn't actually kick off the, the, uh, the combustion of the rest of the fuel directly because that other fuel that was sprayed in as the piston was coming up has now been mixed. So you have that homogeneous mixture. But when the, um, when that little tiny bit of that little spray uh, is ignited by the spark plug, that's just enough to raise the pressure uh, enough to cause the rest of it to ignite. So basically it pushes it over the edge to ignite. And by doing that, they can time exactly when they're going to get that, that increase in pressure that'll cause ignition. And so now they no longer have, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier to control the timing of when you're going to get that. Because if you get your compression ignition too early, then you right. get knocking and um, you can damage the engine. And if it comes too late, then you end up losing some of your efficiency. Um, so you want it right near top dead center. And so now they can control that very precisely. And well, that, Yeah, that sounds an awful lot like... Um almost a an evolution of the, the kind of injection uh, technology that Mercedes touts um, where they say like their their fuel injectors are fast and they can actually inject multiple you know multiple injection events per per power stroke to to just adjust you know so it's, it's almost like they've they've taken that idea and gone a little further with it yeah it is and you know I mean modern diesel engines you know with um common rail injection systems actually do that. They do multiple pulses, so they have more control, but you still don't have that homogeneous mixture, which is what's going to end up getting you into some of the emissions problems. So the, having that homogeneous mixture that ignites throughout the cylinder simultaneously is the key to this, uh, to, to getting this, this, uh, this extra efficiency and, and clean emissions as well. And so Mazda is saying that, you know, they're going to be able to do this without having any additional emission control systems. So just the standard three-way catalytic converter like we've had on gasoline engines for many years. Uh, no, no, no need for particulate filters, no need for um, any uh, NOx after treatment. You know, it, it can all be, you know, the, the emissions are low enough with this thing um, that they don't need any of that. And they can get about 20% improvement in fuel efficiency. Uh, from this. And in addition to that, 
Um, it's all you also have an almost diesel like torque curve. So you have much better low end torque response. And another thing that's really cool about this as well is the engine is, is actually capable of without without modifications of actually operating on a much wider range of um fuel qualities so you know if you have low octane fuel uh the system will just automatically adjust the timing of when it's when it uh does that injection uh and spark to trigger the combustion um or if you have high octane fuel it can also optimize for that just you know within software without having to make any physical changes to the engine and what's great about that is there's been some discussion in, in the last few years about introducing higher octane fuels uh, here in here in North America to allow uh, manufacturers to use higher compression ratios because you get greater um, greater fuel efficiency out of an engine with higher compression ratios and and it generates more torque. Um, but you know to to get the most out of that higher octane fuel you have to design an engine specifically for that and so now you've got an engine that can utilize that if you have those fuels available but if you don't if all you have is 87 octane regular it runs just fine on that as well right and so that's uh, it's just it's a really interesting way to take some of the things that have made turbocharging uh so attractive because that's essentially what you've done is you've you've made an engine with an effective, you know, 13 to one or, you know, 14 to one compression ratio by 16. Com yeah, you're right. But with turbos, I, I, I doubt yeah. that there's too many turbos out there that, that run up to, you know, oh, yeah. combined 16 to one compression ratio. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> right. Well, and um, you know, the, the thing that they talked about in the presentation, you know, with, with downsized turbo engines, you know, those typically are, you know, they're designed to operate really well on the fuel economy test cycles. You know, so right. when you're when you're operating at light load, um, they you know, they work great, you know, when the turbo's not actually generating any boost and they're they're really efficient. But if you start driving them hard, you know, or you know, you have heavier loads on them, then your fuel efficiency tends to drop off pretty dramatically. And so uh, this engine, you know, the the uh, the Sky Active X, or what they call spark controlled compression ignition, uh, is actually um, it, it's it's much more resilient. You know, nor normally aspirated engines in general are much more resilient to um, different ch changing load conditions in terms of what happens with fuel efficiency. So that that's one of the reasons why with the Sky Active engines until now, uh, Mazda has largely stayed away from turbos except for the the engine in the the CX9 where they needed the extra power. But you know, on the six and the CX5 and and the other uh, vehicles, um, they're all normally aspirated. Because because they wanted to, they wanted to get better all-around fuel efficiency, uh, and they're able to do that. And with the Sky Active X engine, it's the same thing. There's uh, better all-around um, uh, fuel efficiency with this with this engine. It does have a mechanically driven uh, roots uh, blower on it, but they're they're actually just using it to pump more air into the engine, you know, to to get it more lean. Um, and hmm. so, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's clutched. So, you know, when they don't need the extra air, depending on the load conditions, you know, it's decoupled from the engine so that there's no power draw on it. Um, and then the other thing that they're adding on to this engine is a mild hybrid system, which wasn't on the prototypes that we drove, uh, but it, it will be on the production cars that launch, uh, in 2019. I mean, look, the word supercharger has, <laughs> That's like you had me at supercharger. That's all. <laughs> I just I um 
you know, what I love about Mazda is that they have taken since the initial Skyactiv introduction uh, back in like 2012, I think, or 2011. Um, they've taken a holistic approach. So it's not just the powertrain. You know, it's it's like they're a small enough automaker that everybody has to talk to everybody else. And so the powertrain guys say, well, hey, we're looking for efficiency gains here. Um, what do you think about maybe making some aero changes to the body so that we can, you know, all collectively eke out a little bit more? And and so it seems like there's this whole car approach to it instead of just optimizing each and every, you know, discipline. It's it's taken as a whole together as well. Uh, and that seems to have, have paid off. So how did it drive? It drove really well. Um, you know, like I said, it, it definitely feels more torquey. The, the, the engines that they're running right now, they're in uh, mule vehicles, which are based on the current Mazda 3 body shell. But underneath, uh, they have, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, from the next generation car, uh, some uh, chassis updates, uh, some structural updates. And, um, you know, so the, the engines we, that were in these cars were two liter uh, engines. Uh, the current two liter sky active engine is 155 horsepower, 150 foot pounds of torque. Uh, and the 2.5 that's available is 100, I think 184 and, um, 180 foot pounds of torque. The sky active X engines, uh, right now in two liter form were 178 and 170 foot pounds. Uh, and you know, it felt, it felt pretty much like the, the 2.5 liter that's available in the Mazda three right now, because actually on the way to the event from the hotel, we drove uh, current generation Mazda threes with the 2.5 liter. And it felt, excuse me, felt pretty comparable to, to that, um, that engine uh, in the new car. Um, it was really refined. Uh, you know, they had a, a display in the car that was showing, you know, whether it was running in spark ignition mode, compression ignition, or super lean compression ignition. And, you know, as it was going back and forth between those, first of all, most of the time it was operating in, in compression ignition mode, which was not the case in previous HCCI prototypes I've driven. Um, and you, you really couldn't tell, you know, just from from listening or, you know, from feeling the engine, you could not tell what mode it was in, which, again, was a difference from the past. So the transitions were completely seamless. And that's that's the whole point of what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it as seamless as possible. So you're just driving, you know, you, you're not you're not really cognizant of what mode the engine is in because it doesn't matter. You know, the spark is always there and whether it's being used to directly ignite the fuel or to ignite a tiny little bit of fuel that raises the pressure enough for compression ignition is irrelevant to the, to the driver. You just want the engine to deliver power and torque when you want it. And it does that. It was really responsive. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think, you know, they've they've still they've only just started doing the calibration uh, for the U.S. market on U.S. fuels and everything. Um, they literally just got the cars here in the U.S. Uh, I think about three or four weeks ago, and um, so they've they haven't done a whole lot of work with it yet. But um, it's it's working really well already. And, you know, the, by the time that they're they're finished uh, sometime next year and add in the mild hybrid system, which should give it even a little bit more torque uh, and give you enhanced uh, auto stop start and, and energy recovery. Um, I think this is going to be a fantastic powertrain. And I think, you know, it's it, it has the potential to be um, the most efficient gasoline engine ever. So. If you're Mazda and you make 
a few cars and some crossovers and stuff, and you've you've invested in this um, system, and now you've released it into the wild, so everybody's going to be able to copy it and study it. So hopefully you have some patents on it. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. That, I asked about that. They have they have a whole bunch of patents on this technology, and Mazda has no plans to license it to other automakers. That was where I was going. Was uh, Do you think that they may the, sort of help their bottom line by, by licensing it? Um, no, I think actually right now the the only plans they have for potentially sharing this are with their with Toyota, who they've partnered with. Uh, and I mean, if you've got a share, yeah, you might as well share it with like number one, number two automaker by volume. Right. So they're uh, <laughs> you know they've got a partnership with with Toyota. Uh, you know that they're sharing technology between the two two companies now. Um, you know. Uh, Mazda is going to be getting going to be getting some of Toyota's electrification technologies uh, for hybrids and and other te- other uh, battery electric vehicles. Uh, Toyota is going to get some of Mazda's base engine technologies like the Sky Active X, uh, and also uh, Toyota is also uh, going to be uh, Mazda is bringing back the the Wankel rotary uh, for use as a range extender, and so we can expect to see uh, both Mazda and Toyota vehicles in the coming years uh, with uh, plug-in hybrid uh, systems that use a Wankel as a range extender uh, in a in a form similar to what uh, GM did with the Chevy Volt, except using the the rotary instead of a piston engine. So, did you ask them specifically about adding this kind of setup to a Wankel and how that? how that might work um they didn't want to talk about that <laughs> um, but uh there's there's actually no reason why this couldn't work and i, I would actually be surprised if uh if they don't do something uh, you know if they don't adapt the spark controlled compression ignition to the wankel when they bring it back because you know wankels are great in terms of power density you know they're very compact very very smooth running uh vibration free um but you know they traditionally have not been very fuel efficient so uh but there's no reason why you couldn't do the same sort of spark controlled compression ignition with a wankel uh in addition to a piston engine and you know really improve its fuel economy and you know because of the the, the way they're planning to use it as a range extender where it's basically going to be steady state operation instead of uh dynamic operation you know running you know up and down between idle and 9000 rpm uh it, that should also make it more efficient as well so um i i would expect to see uh, see this uh this type of system adapted to that engine huh i didn't know that you could get the compression that high with that that uh engine uh up to 16 to 1 i guess you there's no reason yeah i mean there's no reason you can't it's just a matter of the way you shape the rotors and the the chambers yeah well i i just love the wankle <laughs> i do too i'm all i mean it's such a clever design you know and and mazda as a company has always been you know come up with some really clever innovations in terms of engine design you know whether it's whether it's the wankle or things that they've done with sky active or, or you know all the things that they've done you know with their vehicles over the years um it's you know they're 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 an interesting company a, a company that i really like so one of the things that I listened to this week during my commute was um, AutoLine, where he had on uh, the Wards folks talking about their 10 best engines. Um, and I don't think the Skyactiv-X made it to their list this year. No, because uh, to qualify for the Wards 10 best, uh, it has to be in cur- a current production engine. Right. So do you think that it's a real serious contender to, to sort of top that list next year? Uh, 
or depending depending when it depending when it when it comes out um it so it may or may not qualify for the 2019 list but definitely for 2020 yeah it'll be out sometime later in the second half of next year you know it was it was really interesting to 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 hear them talk about the things that were high on their list this year they had a lot of hybrids and they had some fuel cells you know honda with their uh the clarity i didn't realize this they've they've shrunk the fuel cell down to basically the same uh sizes as the uh their v6 so anything that honda's v6 goes in the clarity fuel cell can go in uh that's impressive i think it's it's actually even the fuel cell stack itself is actually quite a bit smaller than that i think if you if you combine the stack and the power electronics and the motor all together then yeah it's probably in that neighborhood but the stack itself is actually quite a bit smaller yeah so that just astounded me i was like whoa that 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 kind of changes everything so it you know seeing where that innovative technology and and other sort of technologies other sort of techniques and and ways of making electricity or horsepower or whatever um you know and then we see the you know masa coming sort of roaring back with a really refined internal combustion engine so well, yeah no I, I would i would absolutely expect to see the sky active x uh certainly in the 2020 10 uh, 10 best list uh and possibly next year like i say depending on when it actually um is available all right well I can't wait to drive one because I like Mazdas anyway. So. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a great engine. There's, uh, you know, I, I was really impressed with it. Um. So all right, well, let's. Is it time to complain yet? Oh, okay, fine, complain. All right. Uh. Well, I mean, we were we were talking just briefly before we started the podcast, but um, you know, BMW has decided to get really greedy because I think they know that their their customer base will probably pay for this or. Uh, complain a little bit less about it and then actually just pony up the cash because they like the features. Uh, so they've they've floated the idea of adding a subscription-based Apple CarPlay um, to their models, which seems to me like a really good way to have people decide they don't want to buy your cars. Um, well, except that, the, you know, this is BMW, so, you know, the... the- a lot of the BMW customer base will buy them anyway. Um, you know, they, they just might opt not to get uh, CarPlay, uh, which, you know, is really ridiculous because, you know, CarPlay and Android Auto, you know, they, all, they, all they are, you know, both of them function very much the same way. You know, they're basically driver layers that, you know, they're, they're an app, like a thin client that gets embedded into the infotainment system that translates between the vehicle controls and sends that, you know, translates the vehicle, whatever the vehicle control system is, whether it's a touchscreen or a control knob or buttons on the steering wheel uh, and translates that into a common set of uh, control interfaces that get sent to your phone. And that's used to control uh, apps that are running on your phone. And then that gets projected back to the screen in the car. So there is nothing in here that would ever justify a subscription cost for it. And in fact, the the cost of adding CarPlay and Android Auto functionality to a vehicle is, you know, probably less than less than twenty, thirty dollars tops. I mean, they have to license the logos. Um, No, actually, (laughs) they don't. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, Apple Apple has actually come out and said, um, no, we we don't require manufacturers to um, to to pay any license fees to use this. 
So there, there is a little bit of hardware associated with, you know, with providing the interfaces and that, you know, that's what the cost is, you know, and then whatever the, the initial development cost of the software that gets put into the infotainment system. And then after that, there's no ongoing fees associated with this. It doesn't cost the manufacturer a dime once they sell you the car. And most manufacturers, um, you know, are putting this stuff in their cars for, for free or, you know, they're, it's, it may not be like in the, in the lowest end audio systems in, in the most entry level audio systems, but in anything beyond that, it's typically included for free, you know, even for in premium vehicles. Um, you know, I mean, our, our Honda Civic, you know, it didn't cost us anything extra to get Android auto or CarPlay support in there. And, uh, BMW is the first manufacturer to explicitly charge extra for CarPlay support. And, uh, you know, when they, they launched CarPlay in, in some of their vehicles in 2017, and they, um, they bundled it with um, a wireless phone charger, and they're char- they were charging $300 for that as an option price. Yeah. And, you know, the, pre- the European premium brands are notorious for, um, you know, nickel and diming you on everything and you know their their margins on option option pricing are just insane (laughs) i mean it is really easy to take any german premium car and double or more than double the price you know by ticking stuff you know checking off options uh so you know for them you know it was not that much of a surprise to see them charge 300 dollars for the carplay option but it was a one-time fee but now what they want to do is change it from a one-time $300 to $80 per year for the life of the car, as long as you want to use CarPlay. Yeah, that's dumb. I mean, I, I know that their line is like, okay, so over the course of a typical lease, which is you know, three or four years, that's going to work out to less than the $300 standalone sort of one-time fee. Uh, okay, but, you know, then you've you've got – you turn in your lease and you – Get another one and you're paying again. So you, yeah. you basically well, got and, people and, on the hook and, for And the other thing is, you know, if you buy a BMW now and when the lease ends, whoever buys that car used does not have to pay and, you know, does not have to keep paying to use it in CarPlay. It's just, just there. Whereas in the future, if you buy a used BMW, you will still have to keep paying BMW $80 every year to continue using CarPlay. So how is that different, though, than something like um, satellite radio? It's the same thing, right? Like if I were to buy a car with satellite radio, used car with satellite radio, I'd have to continue to pay if I wanted to listen to all the crappy programming that sounds bad on the satellite radio. Well, I mean, there <laughs> there is a cost associated for for Sirius to deliver that satellite radio. I mean, they've you know they've got to pay their their staff, they've got to you know pay the maintenance, you know they've got maintenance costs on their satellites and everything else. So there there's a cost associated with providing that service. That is an ongoing cost. As long as they continue to provide satellite radio service, there's a cost associated with that. And I don't, I, while I would not personally pay that cost, <laughs> you know, pay sure. that subscription fee because I don't get value out of it. You know, if you want to use that service, I think it's perfectly reasonable to pay that continuing cost. You know, as long as that service is still in operation, there's a cost associated with providing it. Once you build in CarPlay into a car or Android Auto into a car, that's it. It's a it's a one time fixed cost to put it in there. And then there's never any ongoing cost associated with it to the manufacturer. So they're not actually providing you any service for that eighty dollars a year. Mm. They're just taking your money. Yes, <laughs> it, w- it would be more like, um, 
more a better analogy would be, oh, you want to continue using the cruise control in your car? That'll cost you an extra $150 a year. I mean, or you could just not worry about it and just be like, fine, I won't use CarPlay. I'll just tether to to um, iDrive and be happy with that. Like, what do you what do you actually miss if you're not using CarPlay? Uh, I mean, personally, you know, I, I've, I, I use, you know, Android Auto, but I mean, it's, it's equivalent. You know, if you're if you're an Android user or an Apple user, um, I, I find it a better interface and, it, you know, and it's a it's a more consistent interface. I think it's easier to use than any of the uh, built in systems, you know, and, and, you know, using it just with Bluetooth streaming, you know, tethering your phone to the car, um, you know, you're, you're stuck with whatever the, the manufacturer's interface would, uh, is, which often is not that great. Um, you know, and you, you can't use things like, uh, Google maps or, you know, if you're mm. so inclined Apple maps, uh, or ways, you know, you don't have, you don't have those, those functions available to you in the car. You're, you're stuck with whatever the manufacturer, uh, built into the car. Yeah, when BMW doesn't even offer Android Auto at this point. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. You, you know, if you're if you're an Android user, you're out of luck entirely. So you don't have the option of paying them that eighty dollars a year. Um, and you know, BMW is one of the few OEMs that is not offering Android Auto uh, in addition to CarPlay. Um, you know, they're uh, the one about the only other ones are right now are Porsche and Toyota. Uh, and Toyota just announced at the Detroit Auto Show that they're going to start offering CarPlay. Um, they haven't made any announcements about Android Auto yet, uh, but I would be surprised if at some point in the next 12 months they don't add that in as well. Yeah, so that, I think that's a dumb move by uh, BMW, which uh, will continue to pay off for them. I don't think that their actual buyers are going to complain. Oh, yeah, they'll, so they'll complain. I mean, I was, I was, I was talking with Casey List the other day and, and he's, he's pretty pissed about it. I mean, he doesn't own a BMW that has CarPlay support, but, um, you know, he's, he's pretty upset that BMW would do something like that. And, and we'll have Casey back on the show, uh, probably in a couple of weeks, uh, to talk about the cars that, uh, he's driving this week and that I'll be driving next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it actually is. And, and actually, Casey, who is a software developer, uh, said he was chatting with uh, somebody he knows who's a developer at Apple who does drive a new BMW and is actually pretty pissed off about this. So <laughs> I, I think there I think there might actually be enough backlash uh, against this that BMW might just end up changing their mind about this whole pl- uh, this whole plan. That would surprise me because they yeah. as for as much as, you know, us plebes are offended by it. We're not, we don't tend to be the BMW buyer and, you know, the amount of nickel and diming that goes on with those cars anyway. And the fact that it's just going to be rolled into your monthly lease payment, which, you know, so many of those cars are leased. Yeah. I mean, about two two thirds of BMWs and and most other premium cars like that are leased anyway. So, yeah. So, I I mean, you buried in the lease and just be like, yeah, you know, come up with some cock and bull story about why it's better for you as a consumer and. I mean, I can well, see it and, going you know, both the, ways. The other thing is, I mean, this this is this is really just the beginning of this. You know, going forward, you know, uh, part of the reason, you know, one of the many reasons that manufacturers want to add connectivity to all the vehicles is they want to add more and more services and make stuff available directly in the vehicle um, that you will pay a monthly subscription fee because, oh. and you know, they'll you know they'll they'll have all kinds of third party service providers that'll provide a a range of services and you know they will take a slice of every transaction. You know what I'd pay a lot extra for? 
I would pay a lot to just be left the hell alone. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> like BMW, they're gonna. Can, they're... Can, can you order a BMW with just a blank uh, panel in the in place of the audio system? <laughs> You used to be able to. They they used to come with all the little sort of the block off plates, right? Just show you how friggin' cheap you were. Yeah. Like, oh no, there's a switch here that you didn't buy. There's another switch here that you didn't buy. Uh, well, that's that's no, the, I mean, that's the beauty of systems like iDrive now, where you know, or or other systems where it's all software controlled. You know, yeah. Because it's in you know buried in these touchscreen menus now, you don't have to see those uh, block off plates to you know that tell you all the stuff that you didn't buy. You just don't get that functionality. Yeah, the problem is so it's though, a better like, user as, experience, right? But the the exciting thing for me with my first you know five hundred dollar European car was going to the junkyard and getting all the switches to fill all <laughs> the spots and then adding all the stuff. Uh, that's uh, apparently that's a bygone era. Um, they're I mean they're even going to add Alexa to BMWs in the next couple of years, which is going to be I my experience I think that's with actually, Alexa in cars is like what why why? I, I, actually, I think I think it's available now. Uh, is it? Yeah, oh, I believe so. Gross. Or if it's not, it will be soon. But what they're doing is their approach is similar to what um, Hyundai and some other manufacturers are doing, where essentially they've added uh, support for Alexa skills to yeah, the cars, which means that you can use your use your Echo at home to uh, trigger commands. You know, like if you want to remote start your car on a cold morning or, you know, preheated or, you know, uh, things like that, or find out how much gas you've got. Um, you can do that through your Echo. Um, and it's, it's just sending the commands, you know, through their telematic system to get that information, but you don't actually have access to the Alexa commands while you're in the car. So what well, I just, this boggles my mind. Like, are we, is this where we've gotten to as a society? We're collectively too damn lazy to go. Cause I'll do this. I don't drive the Jeep every day. So on occasion I will walk out in the morning and check the fuel level. And it's it's no big deal. It's not even like well, I mean, it doesn't change my routine. Every, every time, I, every time you go to get in the car, you know, before you before you leave the driveway, yeah. that fuel level's right in front of you. So before yeah, exactly. you've gone anywhere, you know if you need to go and stop for gas. Right, and like it doesn't even change my routine anyway because like I can't have Alexa take the dog out to empty his bladder. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's something I'm always going to have to do until he kicks off and then, you know like he'll probably be another pet so e either way like it, it just i don't see the value in even that stuff like i can remote start the car well i have a fob that is a enormous that comes with the vehicle and it kills its battery and it can also remote start the car so yeah i know it's a sing single task kind of device i don't know i just sound like a you know curmudgeon well no you know? I, you know i agree with you i actually have two echo dots that i have been gifted over the past year and both yeah. of the, both of them are sitting here in my desk drawer um because i have no use for them you know i i am not going to go out and spend 15 bucks a pop on philips hue light bulbs you know or you know any other connected wi-fi wi connected light yeah. bulbs you know t so that i can say you know turn on the lights i'll just get up and hit the light switch yeah like seriously like I, look you and I both remember a time when you used to have to get up out of the chair to change the channel on the television. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, I, I can still tune in a UHF station, although none of them are actually broadcasting anymore on those, those frequencies. But still, you know, like, I, I have the knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and, just, you know, uh, I mean, and, you know, some of the other things that people use, you know, use these devices for, you know, like setting timers and alarms and things like that. 
I do that on my phone anyway. I mean, I can just, yeah, I yeah. can just, you know, I, I can wake up my phone with a voice command and tell it to set a timer or set an alarm or do any number of other things. So I don't need yet another device in my house that's listening to me. Yeah. Well, uh, so, so <laughs> how many rods to a hogshead does the new BMW anyway? Okay. <laughs> okay so we've gone, we've complained. Let's continue to complain. Oh, yes. Uh, if you've actually, have you seen on, on Twitter today, uh, this, uh, there, okay, let me back up. Uh, we wanted to talk about Elon Musk and his flamethrowers because he's asinine about it and it's just Elon being Elon, but also, uh, was it Yuri Halivi, um, on Twitter? Uh, I think it was Hoonable is his, his, ha- uh, handle. Uh, he was like, oh, here are the parts to make one for about a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was awesome. Uh, Bozy Tetravic. Oh, Bozy. Okay. Yeah. Either or way. Tatar- Tatarovic. We, um, we get all of the, uh, the yeah, I mean, Eastern Europeans. If, if you've seen, if you've seen the post that, uh, that Elon put on Instagram, you know, with his, uh, boring company flamethrower, it's like, first of all, why is he selling a damn flamethrower to, to regular people? Uh, secondly, you know, if you, if you look at the video, all it is is a big propane torch. And, yeah. you know, I mean, why are you giving people a giant propane torch to walk around with? Um, because because they will, because <laughs> people are stupid and they uh, for whatever reason, they, they think that Elon Musk is a a font of knowledge. And, and he's a smart guy, but like they, they hold him up as like, you know, they did the same thing to Steve Jobs. You know, he's he's like, oh, well, he just knows everything and everything he says is absolutely right and perfect. Yeah, but there's a there's a huge difference between Steve Jobs and and Elon Musk. You know, Jobs, you know, Jobs had some self-control, you know, and, you know, he would, you know, he would come up, you know, he would have all kinds of ideas and the stupid ones we would never hear about. You know, he, he would he would he could recognize the bad most of the bad ideas. I mean, there was iPod socks, but uh, <laughs> but most of the most of the really bad ideas, you know. He could recognize and and say, "Okay, we're not going to do that," and you would never, the world would never hear about it. Elon just throws everything out there, and you know, also as as a business person, as a manager, you know, the difference between Elon and uh, Steve Jobs is that you know Steve Jobs knew what he was good at. He knew he was good at product and and design and and coming up with with uh, things that were you know really great products, you know, for the most part that that people would actually want. Um, and then he what he knew enough to to know that he was not the right person to actually you know take uh, oversee the day to day operations of you know actually creating these products and bringing them to market. So that's why he hired people like Tim Cook. You know he hired you know the right people to handle all of that stuff that he didn't want to do. Elon, on the other hand, thinks he can do it all, but he can't. And so that's why you have disasters like you know Tesla's production system and. You know, <laughs> he needs to focus on just, you know, figuring out what what are the right products and, you know, you know, do some do some self editing you know, because this flamethrower thing, that's just asinine. So what, He's well, being what a is jackass? He wants people to buy his five hundred dollar flamethrower as a way to get them to sort of send him monies for his boring company, for the, the tunnel company. I guess. I yeah. Don't, I don't know what his idea is with the tunnels. Uh, he wants to build tunnels tunnel under Los Angeles and, you know, and, and every other city, you know, so that you can get from one place to another without traffic. What are we, the friggin' mole people? Like, um, I, 
let's build tunnels across the San Andreas Fault. Like, sure. Okay. Why not? What could or, possibly go wrong? Or at least wrong? at least between, you know, his office at SpaceX and his house in Brentwood. Well, that's the only I, I one mean, that really matters. Right. If it's a personal tunnel, it, fine. Whatever. We've seen that before. Um I I just I don't I don't know. I'm not I feel like there's this this cliff that we're headed towards with um with Tesla and SpaceX and the boring company and all of that, where we've pushed the, the cult of personality so far and we've got folks hanging on, on you know, Elon's every word. And there's a, a lot of uh, sort of fanboyism out there for, for Tesla. And, you know, like we've said before, like they've done great stuff and really pushed the industry and, and they've been disruptive as you know, if you want a textbook disruptor, that's been Tesla. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it if it wasn't for Tesla, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, Volkswagen, you know, pledging to build dozens of new EVs in the next five or six years. You, know, you wouldn't have an, an electric ID buzz coming. Um, you wouldn't have GM promising 20 EVs, you know, by 2023. You wouldn't have Mercedes Benz, you know, doing all these electric vehicles or all these other companies. You know, the, the EV would still be mired in mediocrity right now, probably, if it, if it hadn't been for Tesla really demonstrating what could be what was possible. But, you know, now, you know, we've got to move beyond that and actually execute on making this viable for the mainstream, you know, make it affordable and, you know, high quality products for the mainstream marketplace. And that's, you know, they, they seem to be utterly incapable of doing that because they can't focus or he can't focus. So at what point does he realize this and say, you know what, I should cash out and just sell Tesla? Well, apparently it won't be in the next 10 years uh, because the the Tesla board of directors just voted to a new compensation package for Elon that is based on the company's market cap. So for the next 10 years, he gets no salary. All he gets is stock options that are based on the company hitting uh, targets for um, market value that rise from the current uh, $50 billion to $650 billion over the next 10 years. <sighs> Yeah, I just I don't I where's where's that going to come from? Um, right now we've we've got an economy that that is actively having holes punched in it. Um, where yes, the stock market's booming along, but g- give it a couple of years. Um, I I don't know that that's going to be the case, and the stock market is not the economy. Who's going to buy these things? And uh, you know the the other interesting chatter I have picked up on uh, is more people are recognizing now. That like, hey, wait a second. With driverless cars, where do the cars go when there's no people in them? What do, <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> and, and that's they go a realization congregate and plot against us. Right. Well, <laughs> but that's a realization that's starting to set in. Is like, oh, we haven't really solved any problems. Well, and, just, well, that I mean, this is, this is one of the. It's actually a conversation that's been going on quite a bit lately, and this is you know, it's one of the reasons why. I think you won't actually be buying driverless cars um, because we can't just replace all the existing vehicles with with driverless, you know, with driverless cars or you know, autonomous cars. You know, we actually have to coordinate. You know, if if we're going to actually gain any benefits from these things, 
you know, we have to reduce the number of vehicles that we use and use them more effectively so that the cars are, you know, working, you know, they're doing stuff all the time, which is exactly what, you know, a number of manufacturers are trying to do right now. It's what Ford talked about at CES, Toyota talked about it, GM's working on this, you know, a bunch of companies are all working on this, you know, is figuring out, you know, how do we keep these things, um, you know, so use, use fewer of these vehicles and have them doing more work you know, so that they don't have to go sit around except for when they're charging, you know, they, you go park them, you know, at, at some dealership that's not selling cars uh, to charge them and get them serviced. But, you know, the rest of the time they're they're not just sitting around because otherwise, like you said, you haven't actually solved any real problems. Yeah. And there's there's so much of. Of that kind of problem solving, that's not actual problem solving now that with apps that just sort of turn into like the, the do it for me instead of actually trying to actively solve a real problem uh, globally. You know, there's enough, there's enough stuff that, you know, instead of trying to make remake bodegas, maybe <laughs> you could turn your app energy toward uh, trying to really make a difference in places. Uh, I'm going to start sounding too much like a social justice warrior. So I'll just back off. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, where that sort of that Tesla goal of like six hundred billion dollars, like I don't, I don't think that's actually achievable. I don't, I don't think so either. And, and in fact, you know, um, it, if Tesla doesn't get their act together on you know delivering Model Threes this year in high volumes and more importantly high quality, then you know they they're not going to last that long because they're going to run out of cash. Yeah, what's their what's their burn rate? They're burning like a million dollars a day or something. Uh, yeah, it's about a billion dollars a quarter, between one and one Ooh. and a half billion dollars a quarter. Um, and you know they they just keep going back to the the markets, you know, for more money, and you know people are giving it to them. But I don't know how long they're going to be willing to keep doing that. Their their next uh, their second their um, year end results uh, call is going to be on February 6th, uh, which will be interesting to listen to, uh, to see just how bad Q4 was, you know, with the, the very low volumes of model threes that they actually delivered. Um, it's probably going to be pretty ugly and, you know, their stock price will probably jump 10% the, the next day. So, <laughs> so, and this is a weird thing about, uh, Tesla too, is they have this real, um, hostile relationship with the the press sort of the established press and and i don't mean just print journalists i mean you know all of the the experienced people who are covering them for a variety of outlets that come at it with you know real expertise even you you know you you came out of of an automaker with an engineering background you know the thing you can see the challenges that they're they're dealing with and and dealing doing well about and and not doing well with and and it they they don't like anything that's not phoning coverage and they it, it strikes me that you know they just don't they don't have the confidence in their own product to just put it out the way everybody else does uh you know and and let it sort of live or die on its own without carefully controlling that message and that that says volumes about sort of what they actually feel about what it is they make yeah. Uh, it, well, uh, part of it is because, you know, the products that they've made, you know, while you know, while there's a lot to appreciate about those products, um, you know, none of them have actually been even remotely profitable. Uh, and 
the only way that the company can sustain itself is by getting you know by by drumming up all this hype and getting people to still be excited about the company and keep feeding more money into the company by buying more shares um you know or loaning them money you know by buying bonds um in order to, so they have enough cash to you know to keep the lights on because it's funny that um there was a recent article that I saw and I'll, I'll find it and and link to it in the um in the show notes, but they, uh, back in 2012, 2011 or 2012, Elon Musk uh, announced that, you know, I think actually it was 2011 after their uh, initial public offering. Um, you know, he said, you know, we've got enough cash now and we'll have enough cash flow from, from building cars that we'll never have to go back to the capital markets to get more money. You know, we, we can sustain (laughs) ourselves since he made that announcement, they have raised 11 billion additional dollars. They've, they've taken an, an extra $11 billion from the capital and debt markets just to keep the company going. Yeah. You know what? We need to do an IPO for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Bitcoin. We should or come an, up with like a, an initial a coin offering. Coin. Yeah. 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 Because that, that seems like where all the stupid money's going. So we should get, get some stupid money and cash out. Yeah. Um, all yeah. right. All right, I think we've. I we've think that's enough, enough whining and complaining for this week. Yeah, um, I don't have any sort of feedback from anybody about questions or anything. Did you have anything that came to you directly? Uh, nothing that I saw, but I didn't ask for any either. So uh, I suggest we just cut it cut it short there for this week. Sweet, we're perfect. And, All right, we'll be back and, a little and ne- later and next, on this next week. Next week, uh, we will try to be back with a special guest. Uh, that uh, many of you have been asking for for some time. Uh, and no, it's not Chris Shunk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw Chris Shunk actually liked something I posted on LinkedIn. So uh, he's, yeah, out he's, he's out there. He's watching, you know, but the Shunk is it, always it, there. <laughs> but he's unfortunately, you know, in his current uh, job role, he's just not allowed to participate in any uh, nonsense like this podcast. Well, I I, uh, wish him best, as I'm sure everybody else does. And when he can talk, I'm sure he will. Uh, He will. He he definitely will. But we we (laughs) will have somebody who does like to talk next week. If we can can get all our ducks in a row. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, until then, uh, thank you for listening. All right. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.